I'm Michelle Olivier, and you're listening to Hey, I Want Your Job, the podcast that looks at amazing jobs and what it takes to get them. Welcome to Hey, I Want Your Job. Mm. Spooky edition. Um, so for this episode, I am joined by Ernie. Ernie, what is your job title that constitutes spooky edition? Michelle, I'm Wilfred the Warden. <laughs> and I take people around the most haunted house in England in the dark. And I point <laughs> them about all the people who have died there. <laughs> yeah, I do that. I love it. So you're a ghost guide yes. to the most haunted house in England. Now, I spent 10 and a half years in England. And things like the oldest pub, yeah. the oldest home, or the most haunted home are hotly debated. There's like six different Absolutely. pubs that will all tell you they're the oldest pub in England. Yes. And swear on blind on all things. And that is a much like easier to quantify mm. than most haunted. So explain to me what your house is and why yeah. it is definitively the most haunted house in England. Right. The house is called Shreve House and Barn. It's now under the title, if people want to Google, Tudor World, Leamington Spa. You will see a frontage of a house that was built in 1480 with a huge wooden gate, which dated from the 1500s. And when we opened the gate, the cobbled stones were laid around about 1535. Now. As you go into the gate and you look at the extension of the house, you'll notice that the middle part of the house is brick. The reason for that was in 1535, uh, sorry, 1596, it caught fire. It was originally the Three Tons Tavern with a thatched roof. Shakespeare drank there and the owner was William Rogers who Shakespeare shaped Falstaff on. The three tons caught fire and took half of Stratford with it. So from that day forward, the council decreed that there must be no more thatched roofs in Stratford. So anyone visiting Stratford, if they see a thatched roof, it means that that house is outside the boundaries of Stratford. Now, the name Stratford is important. It comes from the Saxon Stret, meaning street, and Ford, meaning bridge over the river. And so every weekend, thousands of people come to visit a street with a bridge over a river. What a waste of time. Mm -hmm. Actually, it has grown since then. A bit. A bit. A bit. <laughs> Having been to Stratford and Lymington Spa, neither yeah. is what you would call not more than a street with a bridge over it. Absolutely. In the daytime, Shreve House is a, a working museum. Mm 
Families can take their children around and learn all about the Tudor times. Mothers can find out or women can find out if they're witches through a, a simple quiz. Okay. Mind you, since the first question is, are you a woman? And that's worth 10 points. You're pretty certain to be a witch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but the children can also write with a quill pen. Okay, fun. And the fathers can put their head in some stocks. Okay. But the house carries a room where we describe the plague. Okay. The plague room. There is the haunted staircase where, and I think this might be a question, how do I know or how do we know that it's haunted? Yeah. If you go on TripAdvisor, you will see quotes, testimonial from people who've said that they've been touched when no one was around them. They've had their rings twisted on their finger. When we talk about Lucy, 8 to 11 years old, who went to school in the house and was known for her skills as a thief and pickpocket. Okay. And so yet, how, how many ghosts are there total in the house? In the house, we have testament to about 40 spirits okay. who have walked up and down the haunted staircase. And do they all have names like Lucy? Well, one of them is William Shreve himself. Okay. People have described him in the gift shop before they've even seen him. They have seen, they say, William Shreve in the gift shop. They've seen him on the stairs because we say that as the strongest spirit in the house and as the owner, he was, he was bequeathed the house in 1536 by Henry VIII. Some say it was for his prowess with the longbow. Others believe it was for his part in the imprisonment and the execution of Sir Thomas More, because it was at a time when the Catholics were hated in England. Okay. And as further testament, if anyone Googles most haunted live with Derek Acora, most haunted live Tudor world, they will see video of Derek Acora collapsing, being possessed, screaming, they've taken my arms, they've taken my arms. And when we invited him, when we took him outside and recovered and we invited him back, he refused to come back. But you will see footage of Derek Acora collapsing in one of the rooms. And have you personally seen the ghosts or encountered what? them? Because you're there a lot. So Yeah, I am there a lot. No, I haven't seen a ghost. But in the winter, my last tour finishes at nine o'clock at night. It's dark. Mm -hmm. I have to walk up the cobblestones, the same cobblestones that all the people that died have walked up. I go into a barn where we tell the story 
of Jane Ward, The Witch of Sheep Street, but it's in the dark. And then I go into a changing room, which was used by witches up to about 10 years ago. Now I have a question about that. So you said a changing room that was used by witches. Yeah. Are we talking about like from the original Tudor definition you gave a moment ago, which was you're a woman, that's 10 no. points. Congratulations. Like how right. are we, how are we classifying witches? Are we talking about modern pagans? Wicca yeah. practitioners? Like what is yeah. that like? So Jane Ward was only called the witch of Sheep Street because she lived on her own in a, a small hovel for 40 years. And there was a man who lived close by in Ems Court called John Davies. He had a daughter who became very ill with an illness that no one could diagnose. They blamed Jane Ward. One evening as she walked back to her cottage, Davis attacked her with a knife, cut her across the eye, because they believed that if you cut a witch across the eye with a knife, she lost her powers. She died of shock. But the witches that came to the barn were modern day witches from Coven's around Warwickshire. Okay. When they went into the changing room, the first two that came out were met by a figure in the doorway a cloak with no face, just two burning eyes. They ran back into the changing room in time to see the cloaks being scattered all over the room by an unseen hand. Three weeks later, they got all the covens of Warwickshire together, all the leaders, and they performed a cleansing ceremony in the barn. And from that day to this, so far, Jane Ward has not been seen. So she, so it was believed that Jane Ward was the, yeah. the hooded figure with the yes. burning eyes. Yes. Okay. So how, how does that correlation get made? Because to my mind, like I hear that, right. And I think, okay, burning figure, you know, dark figure, robe, hood, burning eyes, like that could be anything like I don't yeah see the direct correlation between that and the woman that was attacked uh, and and blamed by somebody so how historically did that connection get made because they were in the barn what happened is when Jane Moore died mm -hmm. they destroyed the cottage and built the barn around it got it but when they destroyed Jane Ward's cottage and built the barn, the cottage itself is on a slightly lower level. So the base of the barn, the base of her cottage still survives. And it was Jane Ward's cottage. Got it. Okay. So this is fascinating. How did you come to be part of this world though? Because I can't imagine as a small child, you were like, you know, yep. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm going to be a ghost tour person. Never. So how did how did this come about then? Four years ago, I saw an advertisement in a paper. The local theatre wanted extras 
for a Halloween play called The Lurker in the Loft. It was the Loft Theatre. It had been written by a director who was an actress at the theatre when she was a little girl and she had to walk through a small corridor where the, the clothes were stacked. It was dark. She remembered the fear of walking along that corridor. And that was the start of her idea. Now, the play didn't take part only on the stage. For six days, leaning up, to Halloween, the staff turned every part of the theatre into a horror chamber. Now, when I turned up for rehearsals as an extra, the director said, unfortunately, there's not enough actors or actresses turned up. I want you all to take part. So I'd never been on the stage, although for 20 years I have been a mentor to professional business owners who use the words sleepless nights, anxiety and dread when they face the network group or a live audience. So I'd been talking to a live audience anyway, but the lurker in the loft meant that my first job was as a doorman at the walkway that leads up to the theater. And that job meant that I had to stand on the street. You'll know, Leamington, this is the bridge that goes over the river and the theatre is alongside it. I had to stand at the bridge dressed in a bowler hat that was too big, a tie, a bow tie that was on skewwift, a long black coat that was dirty, my face was white with black eyes and there was a red scar all the way down the cheek. And nobody batted an eyelid, which should tell you a little bit about Leamington. <laughs> but I say I've been out on a few nights on the Raz in the UK, yeah. in the Livington area, and I don't know that I would have batted an eye either. No. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but when people turned and walked down the colonnade, I'd let them go past and then, oh, going to the theatre, are you? I can't afford the theatre, me. I ain't got the money, you see. And I'd escort them down to the door leading into the booking office. And then I might say, ladies first. And so all the men would go to the back. Then I'd pick a particular woman who looked as if she was up for a laugh. And I'd go up to her and say, is he with you? And she'd say, yes. And I'd say, well, if anything happens to him, can I have your phone number? You'd never get away with it, would you? Unless you were dressed <laughs> yeah. like that. And then I'd take them in, they'd book the tickets. And I'd say, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to hand you over to the manager. He's even crazier than I am. <laughs> that was the start. And then three to four years later, that director that booked me told me that Tudor World in Stratford were looking for a ghost guide. That's how I got the job. And I want 
If I could mention, Michelle, that I also run a channel called No Story Stagnates. It's on YouTube. It's, a, it's an interview with business owners and people from all over the world. And we take their story from before they were born to where they are now. Stories in the decades and the lessons they learned from them. And it starts with one question. If I could ask you the question, Michelle. Okay. Do you know how your mother and father met? Absolutely. Can you tell me? Uh, so my our origin story in our family is actually a bit of a legend. So my parents both were married to other people um, at university. And um, my mom was a year behind my dad. And she... She was the first editor-in-chief um, for the university newspaper um, at Texas A&M, which is a big deal university yeah. over here. I've heard um, of Texas A&M, yeah. There you go. Um, and uh, my dad was a writer and a bad one. Yeah. Mostly he was on the payroll because he was drinking buddies with the other editor. Yeah. And so she would fire him. So she met yeah. him the first time firing him for doing a terrible job. And he was like, all right. And then he took out the other editor and got hired back on. Right. And finally, she ousted the other ad editor. And he came and she was like, you know, now what? You're just fired. He was like, all right, well, you want to go have a drink? I know I'm still fired, but let's go yeah. have a drink. She was like, why not? And so they went and had a drink. And after that, they um, decided that they were in love. Um, and a few months later, they loaded up a car, realized the whole time they had lived next door to each other and married housing, um, and loaded up the car and drove off into the sunset and were ridiculously puppy dog in love 46 years later when he died. Right. And the whole lesson from that, Michelle, is if your mom would have said no that day when he asked her out, you wouldn't be here. Nah, he'd asked the next day and kept asking until she yeah, said yes, Ernie. It I would have faith been a, in my dad. <laughs> yeah, but it would have been a different... I mean, for instance, my story. Mm -hmm. In the war, my dad fought in the war, the Second World War, but he was an athlete. Most importantly, he was a boxer. And the battalion loved its boxers. And he was a good boxer. He ate with the officers so he could keep his strength up, but he never drank. Two years after the war, he went into a place called Nuneaton and I went into a pub called the Granby Arms with a friend and he had his first three pints of beer. It went to his head. He said, I'm going out for some fresh air. On the way out, he tripped and knocked a woman over. My mother. Hey. If he'd have had two points, or if he'd have gone to the toilet, I wouldn't be here. They'd have missed each other. So, did all of that happen in the um, Stratford area? Are you from no. Stratford? No. I'm from a place called Attleborough in Nuneaton, mm -hmm. which is quite close to Coventry, if you know, or between Coventry and Birmingham. Mm -hmm. uh, so... Although I thought um, I detected a bit of a Brahmi accent there. So yeah. although I've been in this area now for well, I'm I'm 72, so I've been in, in the area. 
I've done a fair amount of travelling as well. And it's that travelling, I think, that has given me the confidence not only to be a speaker, but also to understand I've got a programme called the four P's of perfect presentation, which means that you prepare your presentation, you practice it so you know it off by heart, that gives you the confidence to have the right posture. And then the fourth piece to perform. Even if you're speaking in front of an audience for 60 seconds with your pitch, perform. Educate and entertain the business owners who are in the audience who are your sales force. And that's my idea of what I do every time a group of people come into the haunted house. I have to perform. So do you have your, are your stories scripted? Is it more dynamic than that? Like if I, if I went, if I thought, oh my God, that Ernie is the best. Am yeah. I going to hear the same exact like verbatim stories every night? No. Do you, like, how does, do you have a couple that you rotate between? No, there's just one script. Okay. There's one script, but we are allowed to add or subtract, depending on the size of the order. I mean, if I've got two people in who come in on a particular tour, then I can extend the script so that they do get their full 50 to 60 minutes. But if I've got 20 people on the tour, then I have to delete parts of the script to get them round. And that's why I advocate for business owners to learn their presentation. So what is on the average night, how many people do you have on your tour? Is it normally fully booked or is it like... 20 30 people or do you normally no. have five like about the maximum we have is 20 okay because the rooms are quite small although there's a lot of rooms sure. quite small the minimum is two and honestly sometimes i'll turn up and they'll say you've got two two people on your six o'clock and then suddenly a party of 10 will come and say we want to come at six o'clock so suddenly it's from having psyched myself up for a tour of two yeah. and that script I've got a tour of 12 and I've got to change the timing of the script sure. but the fact that I know the script means I can do that successfully do you have regulars that come all the time sometimes and that's intriguing you know they often come on birthdays or celebrations. Why would anybody want a birthday at a haunted house? My husband would love it. I will tell yeah. you a hundred percent. My husband, yeah, the whole time we would. So my husband is English, yeah. and um, when I was there, like every year, we he'd be like, "Babe," because you know, there's all of there's like at least yeah. ten hotels that all claim to be the most haunted hotel in England. Yeah, if he had had his druthers. All 10 years, we just yeah. stayed in a different one of those hotels. I was like, no, no. that's not about to happen. <laughs> I am delighted to go visit. 
but I am not going to jeopardize my sleep. No. The fact that this may or may not be haunted with spirits Absolutely. that may or may not be in the mood to have me there. No. 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 <laughs> yes, he would have loved it. He is absolutely a nut for that sort of thing. In yeah. fact, we went to uh, Warwick Castle. Uh-huh. Um, which also is supposed to be haunted. Absolutely. And we did the ghost tour there. And my favorite bit was right at the end, the the chap that was the um the tour guide nips behind a curtain. It was not in any way subtle, Ernie. Like this no. was not in any way terrifying to any normal grown-up adult. Oh. We are walking past, he literally pulls the curtain and said boo. And my husband screamed like a five-year-old girl. Right. And tried to lift me up and put yeah. me in and I was well, now I'm your human shield, and I, I still married him after that. So obviously, right. I'm a poor judge of character. Yeah. But, um. But yeah, no, he absolutely is yes. for that stuff. He loves it. Yeah. And um, so. And you know, Michelle, we rarely get people from Stratford come in. They, but we do get Americans, Japanese, Eastern Europeans. People from London coming up for the weekend, Wales. Well, it, with it, respect to Stratford, right? Like I yeah. know, so going to the whole, you know, right. Shakespeare thing, like that's a whole thing. But there's only so much Shakespeare you can right. do. And yes. it's a bit of a trek, right? So I can totally see why all of the tourists who come out for the Shakespeare yeah. experience would wind up doing the ghost tour. I think it's amazing. And, I, you know, I have to say we – um. For a while, we lived in San Jose, and there's right. a, a building there called the Winchester Mystery House. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. No, um, no. It's amazing. So it was built by um, the wife of the um, the founder of Winchester Rifles. Yeah, yes. Who obviously just had, you know, more money than Solomon. And um, she was convinced that she was being haunted by the ghosts of all the Native Americans that were killed with Winchester guns. Right. And that the only way, and some psychic told her that the only way to keep them from getting her was to keep building this house. And so uh -huh. there's doors that go nowhere and walls that back onto walls and like the whole thing. It's it's crazy. Um, and it's so cool. And there's a guy at the, and of course it's also supposed to be haunted because it wouldn't be any fun if it weren't. No. And there's a chap there who does the tours that was my husband and I's favorite. Uh -huh. And we would go like every other weekend to hear his same spiel. Because yeah. He was so great. We knew his schedule. Yeah. He was our guy at Winchester. He was on the mark. That's yeah. right. And he was delightful. And I like when you when you do your voice and your character, it really reminds me of right. him. And yeah, it, so absolutely. I could totally see that if we lived in Stratford, we would be absolutely yeah. regulars. Um, <laughs> Something you said there brought me to another story, if I can, mm. Michelle. Mm -hmm. 1964, my last year at school. We were asked if we wanted pen friends. I wrote to America. I got a letter back that was beautifully written. I sent a letter back and on the next airmail envelope, there was the picture of the most beautiful girl I'd ever seen. And for four years, we wrote every three to four weeks. It's 1968. I went over to visit her and stayed with her. 
Summer of Love. That's, I mean. But on the first night, we went to a school playground with a roundabout on it. And after a bit of talk, we kissed for the first time. And I put four years of passion into the kiss and she backed away. I didn't know why. I later learned that I came on too strong. We were just sort of polite to each other for the three, three weeks I was there. And when we left, I shook hands. It was no more than that. Stratford had an open day where they closed the roads off and they had stalls all the way up and down the street. And there was a gypsy caravan there. So I walked up the steps of this gypsy caravan, opened the door. It was dark, but I could see a woman's face, table with a crystal ball. And she said, cross my palm with silver. I gave some money. She said, close your eyes and make a wish. Close my eyes and I wished I could see that girl again. And when I opened my eyes, she said, your wish was across the water and it will come true. Obviously not, because I'd already tried to write to her and no reply, no internet in those days. <laughs> 2002, I'm on the internet and the American election comes up and I write three or four lines about it and then forget all about it. Three months later, I go back to that site. The American election's there. My four lines, I just glance underneath. I was your pen friend 36 years ago. Oh, wow. So 2006, married with a family. I, I go over and they put me up in the basement. But I was talking across the kitchen table as we're talking now. And she told me that her best friend was the daughter of a Lakota chief. And he looked after eagles. Now, I'm fascinated with birds of prey. So I said, can I meet him? She said, no, is a very, very private map. As soon as she said private map, the phone rang. And it was the daughter inviting us to a gathering of the people that weekend. So I spoke with the chief. I listened to him tell the story of the tribe. I ate with the people. I danced in the circle. And then down at the prayer fire, the daughter came out with a bowl of lemongrass, sage, lit the grass and offered a prayer to the east, the west, the north, the south, the sun and the earth. I was crying. Now, I, I, put my, I despise churches. I'm not a Christian. But on that day in the open field, I got tears in my eyes when a Native American woman was praying to Wakandunka. And I also heard this. I heard the Native American flute. And five, five years ago, I went to a music festival of Native American flutes, guitar, drums and didgeridoos. And there was a man there who 
helped us make our own flutes. Nice. So I've been playing for five years now. And it was all because I met that Native American chief. Very cool. Very cool. As a Native myself, I love it. When, uh, really? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm Comanche. So. Wow. Um, um, but yes, I, I always love it when people honor and celebrate our culture in ways that are meaningful and not just, Absolute. you know. Absolute. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, that's, a, that's a really great story. Yeah. Um, so tell me, so we never quite got to the, at what point did you start your interest in ghosts and the, and the supernatural? Or do you have one? Like, do you just enjoy the play no. acting part of it and it happens to be about ghosts but it could just as easily be about ghosts oh, yes. and chickens or yeah yeah i mean my other parts when when we have school holidays i become erin the wizard it sounds a, it sounds a bit more pagan than ernie the wizard so <laughs> i've just changed the letters around a bit erin the wizard i tell the the, the children tales of the headless knight of warwick Okay. <laughs> His name was Otto. He was a knight at Warwick. And he fell in love with a very beautiful woman. Unfortunately, it was the king's wife. And the king didn't take kindly to men falling in love with his wife. So he chopped off Otto's head. And he stuck it under his arm. And he said to Otto, you must walk the streets of Warwick and Stratford until someone smiles at you. Would you smile at a man whose head's under his arm, Michelle? Well, I don't know. Is his head smiling? Mm. It's a good job he didn't meet you then, or I wouldn't have this story. Ah. No one smiled at him. I... So he walked the streets of Stratford for 200 years until he came to the bottom of Shreve House. He walked up the cobbles into the barn. He looked around the barn and I could hear some commotion. So I came out of my workshop, I saw Otto, Otto saw me, and when I saw Otto, <laughs> and when Otto saw me, <laughs> the problem was when Otto went, <laughs> his head fell onto the floor. Now my daughter heard the commotion, she came out, she saw Otto's head on the floor, and she smiled at it. And Otto smiled back. She put Otto's head on the shoulders, but unfortunately she hadn't got her glasses on. The nose pointed that way, the eyes pointed that way, and the ears pointed that way. But she smiled. Would you smile at a man whose nose pointed that way, Michelle? Was he smiling at me? Eyes pointed that way. Well, he may well have been, because when my daughter smiled, Otto smiled back. He disappeared, and they do say that he now lies peacefully in his grave. That's the story for children. That's a very sweet story for children. And do the children ever say that they would smile at him, or do they well, always say no? Well, some do. Okay. And I say, oh, it's a good job you didn't meet him now, or I wouldn't have a story. But most of them say no. <laughs> And the, the 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 thing is, the strange thing is, Michelle, now, oftentimes, 
the children stop listening. The, the parents are engrossed, but the children have lost a bit of interest by. And is that down to mobile phones too? I will say that my children would be enthralled. So they are four and five and they would love it. Oh, yeah. They yeah. love anything related to, a, they like the idea of scary things. They do not yeah. like the no. reality of being scared of anything, but they right. love that kind of a story. I may even yeah. steal it for a bedtime story. Absolutely. Because, yes, Absolute. they would, my children would be wrapped. They would think yeah. it's the best thing ever. So, yeah. And what that has done and what I tried to get over to people is I was a shy kid. When I grew That's, up. I cannot imagine you oh, being shy. You were so, <laughs> you know, boisterous and, and fun. In the life. 1950s, in my family, we were not allowed to talk at the dinner table at all. Eat in silence. I couldn't talk after dinner because my dad had just come back from a long shift at work. I couldn't talk at night because my brother was five years younger. I kept being told to shut up at school. And when I went into the factory, it was too loud. Nobody could hear what I was talk talking about anyway. I didn't really tell a story until I was 22. And I was a best man at a hooker's wedding. A rugby player. His bride, her father, was the chairman of the local chamber of trade. So my first presentation was to 140 business owners and their partners. I prepared for three months. <laughs> I practiced until I'd got it down to bullet points. And because I knew it, I stood up confidently and I delivered this presentation. I performed and I got a standing ovation. As a best man, that's when I knew that this is what I could do. Otherwise, I'd been as shy as hell. I love that. That's very sweet. It's so interesting that different performers have different ways that work for them. So I, I'm dyslexic. And so, and I was a, um, a national champion orator and debater ah. um, when I was a kid. And as an orator, they always want you to, you know, write out this giant speech and then memorize it word for word. And I couldn't. I absolutely, the words would swim in my head if I tried to do that. And it just didn't work at all. So instead, I just had talking points. And then I would, shall we say, jazz style riff. <laughs> yeah. Between the talking points. And so, like, it was every single time I ever performed it, it was different. Yeah. Um, uh, but it was very, very effective for me as a strategy to very definitively not practice. So Absolutely. Yeah. Practice, and I would overthink, and it would come yeah. up as wooden and and awful and hokey, like yes. none of the things that you would want um, in a speech. And so, yeah, I. But I know other performers that that would be death for them. <laughs> they yes. really needed yeah. to have it fully scripted and you know verbatim. Yes. Go down it. So I think it's so interesting how different different minds work, and and yeah. different people have, need different types of structures like that to be successful. So you've talked about two ways of learning the script. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
but at no time or maybe once or twice through that what you've just said you went um uh and that to me is a killer for business owners at network meetings hi i'm um ernie boxall and uh I help you take your business from um, where it is now to uh, where you want it to be. And I do that by um, working with you uh, one to one. And no, not for me, you don't. Not if you're erring and err. Um, uh, and that to me is a missed opportunity. I think that fluidity of speech is really important and it definitely conveys confidence. And confidence is always attractive. Absolutely. In business and theater, whatever. But I also think that there is something uniquely beautiful about people who are humble and uh -huh. who are able to come in and be nervous and be authentic and own that yes. nervousness. Um, I have been very impressed with people who have come in and said, um, uh -huh. I'm really bad at this. Um, and and then and then all of the things you just said, yeah. But by beginning with owning those nerves, yes, it's again very. It's it's now you're rooting for the underdog, and everybody loves an underdog. Now everybody's pulling for them to be uh, successful, and you get an, an extra level of of interest. And I'm not saying that I think people should. Put a, put on that as an effect. No, I no. Think when it is genuine and it's clear that it's genuine, and the person has owned it, that that is again, it's a very different type. Did they of improve? Engaging. Did they improve? Not always. Sometimes they suck right. the whole time. Okay. Well, I would love to work with them. <laughs> I think I could help them improve. <laughs> I mean, I'm a recruiter, so I've done hundreds of thousands of interviews. Yeah. And that, I mean, so I've seen all of it, the, right. the variabilities. And I do think that there is just some, I, I know uh, empirically that that is something that's interesting. I think it's very different when yeah. you are a performer. So when right. you are, you don't want your ghost tour person to, to tell no. you. Um, well, I'm new here. I don't yeah. really know what I'm doing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I don't want my audience when I'm doing my 60-second pitch. I don't want them to hear me umming and erring and particularly with the work I do. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I will embrace both ways. So tell me a bit more about Tudor House. Is it a charity? Is it a... No. That it's a living museum? It's a living it's museum. It's owned by a husband, wife, and brother. And they need, absolutely need people to come through the gate. It's the... Uh, they get no support from any foundation. The house is kept up by the people who come through the gate. Is it not a national uh, part, one of the national no. trust at all? No, no. Oh, interesting with it being that old. I'm so Absolutely. surprised that it's not in the registry. No, no. They've, they've had to keep, they've had to look after the upkeep themselves. Mm. So we've got 1480 at the front. Mm -hmm. The middle part was built in 1596 after the fire. And then at the back, it's very similar to the front. And the beauty about the front and the back 
is that they are still the original. They, they don't have nails in, they've got wooden pegs. So it's all original. The cobbles, as I say, 1596. 1642 was the first battle of the Civil War at a village called Kyneton, 10 miles away. And the house was a billet and a hospital for some of the parliamentarian troops. Oh, wow. One more story. Yes, please. It was a schoolhouse. And one of the visitors to the school was a man called Dr. John Dee. One of the most educated men in Britain. Astronomer, alchemist, and astrologer. He was also Queen Elizabeth's spy when he was invited to France and Spain to talk to the kings. And when he wanted to get a message back to Elizabeth in secret, he signed it, Gospel Truth, 007. 00 meant that it was for Elizabeth's eyes only. And seven was his number in the code. The original 007, Dr. John D. And is his ghost at the house as well? Or he was just a, a visitor, a historic visitor? As ghost, I don't know. But at the start of the tour, before the tours come round, I take round little electric candles. I get to Don, Dr. D's desk. As I'm putting the candle down, his hand is quite close. And I swear every night, I think that hand is going to come on top because his eyes are looking, although he's looking at the table, his eyes are looking at the people there. And I swear, one night his hand's going to clamp down on mine. And will that officially be your last night as tour guide when that happens, <laughs> Very probably, yes. <laughs> oh, my days. That is fantastic. Well, listen, we are coming next summer to England um, oh. because the boys have not been been over yet because they're small and yeah. COVID, etc. So we are coming next summer and we were already... We have a family in Wickham, so we were going to be out right. that way anyway. So we shall pop up and hopefully we will get to see you at, in your um, in your ghostly yeah. best. And they, you can tell them the stories and they will love it. Absolutely. That's brilliant. <laughs> Thank you so much. So what we're running out of time. So what right. have I not asked you that I should have asked? I do have, as I say, I have a program called No Story Stagnates where I interview business owners. If people go to my info, you'll see the link. And if they press the button called watch on YouTube, they will see all the interviews I've done with business owners throughout the world. It goes onto my channel podcast, No Story Stagnates. But my program also is how to shine instead of shiver when you face a live audience and that's a five webinar program which is on sale for 1700 pound and it takes people on a deep dive 
down to find, I say, the keys to unlock the awesomeness. Because I say, I don't say climb the mountain, I say deep down. Because to create that confident, comfortable feeling of speaking, I think we have to get in touch with our emotions that have held us back. I think that's probably true for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we will have links to all of those things so that people can can go and check them out and check out your... Um, thank you. All of that. And thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciated it. It's been a real pleasure, Michelle, even from the middle of the, the early morning. <laughs> I know. I was surprised. Thank yeah. you so much. I will let you get on now. Thank you so much, Ernie. Thank you, Michelle. Take care. You've been listening to Hey, I Want Your Job. For more information on how you can get your own awesome job, visit ONH Consulting at www.onhconsulting.com. We offer incredible resumes, no-nonsense career advice, and real-world tips for landing a job in today's market. Check us out on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Insta for more insider information. Soon, you'll be hearing us say... I'm Michelle Olivier, and hey, I want your job.